0: Hello, hello, hello to all you wonderful people out there on the airwaves and in podcast land. Welcome to Completely Unreasonable, part audio journal, part comedic stream of consciousness. Completely Unreasonable is a cosmic adventure where I take you to the heart of a dying star and we look into the mirrors of infinity and try to avoid having an existential breakdown. This is the second episode of the show. I am your host and your friend, Will Croco, and I am so thankful to have you here. So as the music fades out, let's all take a deep breath. <sighs> because it's podcast time. This episode of Completely Unreasonable is brought to you by Anchor FM, the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor allows you to create, distribute, host, and monetize your podcast for the low, low price of 100% free. Anchor is straightforward and easy to use and includes unlimited free hosting and one-click multi-platform distribution, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Anchor also does the work of matching your show with great brands and sponsors. You decide which brands you want to work with, which episodes to monetize, and where in your episodes you would like your ads to appear. Anchor allows you to record anywhere using their mobile app and provides you with straightforward and simple analytics so you can get the feedback you need to grow your podcast. If you have been thinking of starting a podcast but are unsure or overwhelmed by the how, and head over to Anchor FM and start flexing your creative muscles now. Welcome back, everyone, to Completely Unreasonable. Like the intro said, I'm Will. Thank you for joining me. What did you think of that ad? Weird, right? Not Didn't sound like the last episode. A lot of podcasts... Do their advertisements that way. They do hard cuts between like their intro or before their outro with background music and a little bit more heavily produced. And that's an example of what you just heard. Just something I'm experimenting with. Some other podcasters like to do more of just like a stream of consciousness style thing for their ads where they hit a few main beats, but they talk about the product and they they don't have like a specific script or copy that they're reading from. They just kind of tell you about the product or the service from the heart. So we're kind of experimenting with that. It's funny because, and I say funny, it might be funny. um, Anchor isn't actually sponsoring my podcast either. They are my hosting platform, like I mentioned. Very grateful to them. Excellent free service. They are responsible for the distribution. So they are responsible for um, the podcast now being available on the big ones on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify. It's awesome. My dog is freaking out at somebody, but that's okay. So it's an altruistic ad because Anchor actually can't, they're not sponsoring me and uh, they actually can't pay me for the ad because Anchor is based in the US and they do all of their monetization and sponsorships through a US-based bank. They do not currently offer monetization or sponsorships to podcasters outside of the United States. Not a criticism. That's probably not easy to set up. I reached out to their customer service department when I realized this, and I asked them what the status on getting monetization support outside the US was, and if they're making any progress. And they told me that it's something that they're working on, essentially. I got a pretty, it was a pretty like, you know, like a copy and paste email from somebody, but they're a big company. They got a lot of people emailing them and asking them questions like that. So no big deal. So give me some feedback on if you like that ad there, or if you'd rather me just kind of talk through it. I'm like I said, I don't even have any sponsors. so I don't even need to do an ad, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun experiment for me. This is all, this whole podcast is a fun experiment for me, everybody make no mistake. I appreciate you if you're listening to this, but this is for me. I'm the boss and I love it. So, like I was saying, welcome back to the podcast. This is our second episode, and a lot has happened in the week since I released the first episode. Um, Mostly, what has happened is we've shown up on multiple new hosting websites. Um, You can get the podcast anywhere you get. Like, where 99% of you are going to get your podcast, you can get it from now like i said from apple from stitcher from spotify from google podcasts and i'm over the moon with that i'm not going to talk about how many people have listened because i'm trying not to pay too much attention to the analytics because i don't want it to become something that i'm like I, i the last thing i need is another thing another metric i'm constantly checking on my phone looking at notifications for right but um There have been more people listening to the show than I thought there would be. So if you have listened, if you're listening now, if you shared or told anybody about the podcast, thank you so much. And if you haven't told anybody about the podcast, and if you like it, tell a friend, word of mouth. It's out of style, kind of, but it still works. So usually I've been doing this podcast on the weekend. But it's currently Tuesday. Uh, I got home from work a little while ago, and I was busy all weekend, where I would normally do a call-in or I would, you know, write copy. I was actually on a backcountry hiking and camping trip with three of my really good friends. And I would like to tell you all about that. (laughs) So British Columbia is a pretty amazing place. My wife, Devin, and I moved out here about two and a half years ago for work and for adventure, and we found both. BC has mountains. It has lakes, over 20,000 of them, actually. It has forests, plains, coastal areas, islands. It's beautiful out here. So I want to talk about that a little bit. British Columbia contains 1,029 protected areas. These protected areas combined cover a total landmass of over 14 million hectares, which makes up for nearly 15% of all the land in the province. Now, for some context, that is twice the total area of landmass of my home province of New Brunswick. I'm not throwing any shade at any of you New Brunswickers. I love New Brunswick. It's just not a big province. But I digress. These protected areas include 640 provincial parks, two recreation areas, 156 conservancies, 148 ecological reserves, 81 protected areas, 340 campgrounds, 119 boat launch areas, and over 2,800 kilometers of official hiking trails. Now, high atop the northernmost section of the Okanagan Plateau within the vast Columbia Mountains lies Monashi Provincial Park, a 23,000 hectare provincial park located northeast of Vernon, BC, between Mabel and Arrow Lakes. The park's biodiversity is impressive. By any standards, the park protects substantial stands of old-growth cedar, hemlock, and spruce. The valley bottoms are graced with lush, green forests, not unlike the coastal and rainforested regions of the province. In the spring, the distinctive alpine meadows blossom with a colorful array of heathers, mosses, lichens, and wildflowers, including the iconic Indian paintbrush plant. The snow-capped mountains that tower over the park, Fostal, Caribou Mountain, Slate Mountain, Visionary Peak, Tranquility Peak, and Gates Ledge all rise between 22 and 2,700 meters above sea level and are some of the oldest and most dramatic rock formations in Western Canada. In person, it is obvious that the Columbia's nickname, the Kootenai Rockies, is very well deserved. The Alpine Lakes... Big and Little Peters, Margie Lake, Spectrum Lake, and Fawn Lake sparkle beneath the behemoth Mount Faustal. Its jagged peaks and ridges, not unlike the Sawtooth Mountains of Patagonia. The cool summer temperatures and abundant vegetation provide an ideal habitat for a variety of wildlife. Lucky, quiet, and patient visitors may get a glimpse of the rare mountain caribou or wolverine, two of the park's red-listed mammalian inhabitants. The park is also home to the red-listed northern goshawk. In addition to its endangered species, the area also boasts moose, no surprise here, Canada, deep wilderness, (laughs) mule deer, mountain goat, marten, cougar, black bear, a blue-listed grizzly bear population, and Townsend's big-eared bat. It was within this cathedral of the natural world we decided to venture on our weekend backcountry expedition. With a thirst for adventure and packs full of supplies, we headed into the wild with one goal. To have fun. And maybe some at Mount Fostal To gain access to a place most only dream of. The Hall of the Mountain Gods. High above the tree line where you can see for miles and all of your terrestrial problems fade away behind the sound of the wind and the thrill of feeling on top of the world. On Friday, we assembled our crew in Kelowna, Dylan, Raleigh, Jeff, and yours truly, and started making our way towards the park, approximately three hours away in Dylan's trusty Ford Explorer sport known as Baba Ganoush, or BABA for short. The first leg of the journey, from Kelowna north to Vernon along Highway 97, treated us to vistas of the surrounding valley and the sparkling, almost tropical blue waters of Kalamalka Lake. Highly recommended lake, nice swimming. Past Vernon, things begin to get more rural as we leave the cities and double- lane highways behind in favor of small towns and narrow winding country roads through historic Lavington and Lumby. Just outside of Cherryville is where our party turned north, up Sugar Lake Road into the wilderness. As Baba puttered away, taking us further and further away from civilization, we shared stories about our previous journeys as our levels of excitement grew. At the Sugar Lake Recreation site, we were treated to our first views of the mountains of Monashi Provincial Park towering overhead, snow-capped, jagged, and peaceful. No backcountry expedition in British Columbia is complete without a lengthy drive up an abused forestry service road, and ours was no different. Baba, although an intrepid traveler and pack mule, suffered a flat tire soon after, but fear not! Our crew was comprised of a Red Seal carpenter, a man who can fix anything on wheels, and an aircraft structural engineer, yours truly felt utterly useless. So I puttered around and took pictures while the real men fixed the tire. You don't need four people for that anyways. Three of them changing, it was way too many cooks in the kitchen. It was only a short while after this that we arrived bright-eyed and full of excitement at the Rainbow Trails, or or I'm sorry, at the Rainbow Falls trailhead. The trail guide foretold of a relatively easy six-kilometer hike from the trailhead to the Spectrum Lake Campground, the most accessible and largest campground in the park. The hike was straightforward, but with 45 pounds of water, food, and supplies on our back in human conditions, I soon found myself fully saturated in my own sweat. This did not, however, hamper my spirits, because we soon found ourselves hiking in the dark, soon after finding ourselves at the campground. Spectrum Lake features 16 sites spread across the lakeshore and on the slopes above. Each site has a wooden tent platform or a framed earth pad complete with fire rings and picnic tables. Hey, BC Parks, if you're hiring for voiceover work, hit me up. I'm your guy. We proceeded to set up camp, enjoyed a few cold ish beers that we hiked in and enjoy the first of many just-add-boiling-water freeze-dried backpacking meals before turning into the night. Saturday morning, I was up bright and early, as I always am, and I was treated to an incredible sight that the previous night's darkness had denied us. The entire forest was densely carpeted in moss and lichens. The trees were thick with leaves in the canopy and bare in the understory, and I can honestly say that it was the greenest place I have ever been. We headed down to the docks with our water filters in hand and basked in the epic views of peaks overlooking Spectrum Lake. The lake itself was cold, crystal clear, and completely undisturbed, save for one man quietly fishing from the docks. We packed up camp, threw our bags on our backs, and headed back onto the trail. The trail from Spectrum Lake to our first destination of the day, destination sorry, that's like Sean Connery, the trail to our first destination of the day, Little Peters Lake Camp. A six and a half kilometer hike with 762 meters of elevation gain that I wouldn't hesitate to describe as a grind. BC Parks calls this section of the trail the most difficult within the park. It winds rapidly up and out of Spectrum Lake Camp and passes through rocky terrain in avalanche chutes and dense areas of forest. This section of the hike took us most of the morning, but our spirits were high as we climbed up and around the base of the mighty Caribou Mountain and into the alpine meadows surrounding the first of the two upper lakes we would encounter. The meadows were absolutely stunning, and we greatly enjoyed the temporary break from winding and grinding our heavily laden way through the lower valley. We meandered our way across the meadows while Raleigh took photographs and the rest of us soaked in the powerful vibes and breathed the fresh, wild air, thick with the smell of wildflowers and spruce. Luckily for us, by this point in the hike, the majority of the elevation had already been gained. However... The rest of the trail continued to wind through the hills and around the lakes, taking us up and down switchbacks through low-lying marshes and dense, heavily forested areas of engelman, spruce, and subalpine fir. It was at this point that the perennial enemy of the outdoorsman, the dreaded mosquito, began to notice our presence and their insatiable, vampiric taste for our young, healthy blood drove them to begin their siege upon us. Not ones for complaining, we took turns bathing in deet and carried on. Not shortly thereafter, we began to see hints of Big Peter's Lake through the trees and soon found ourselves bursting forth from the woods into a beautiful and expansive alpine meadow, complete with a babbling brook of fresh, cold glacier water, backcountry campsites, an unoccupied canvas ranger tent, and incredible views of the surrounding mountains." We quickly and easily found two campsites nearby and with old man sounds, took off our packs, took off our boots and began preparing food. It was not an easy hike. I'm serious. It was not an easy hike. You might read that six and a half kilometers, 760 odd meters of elevation gain and not think it's that hard. I didn't think it was going to be that hard. but. I'll tell you one thing, I can see why the ultralight camping and backpacking industry is so huge because 45 pounds gets really heavy when you're hiking uphill. At this point, we had been discussing whether or not we would make the final push to try to summit Mount Fosthall, an additional five and a half kilometers one way and 960 meters of elevation gain, promising panoramic vistas of the park and the Monchi Range. My friend Jeff, who now is obviously the fittest hiker of our group, was determined to push for the summit where the remaining three of us were on the fence. As it turns out, we were freed from the responsibility of making that decision as the sound of rolling thunder began cascading over the hills behind us and the first big fuck off raindrops, as Jeff put them, <laughs> began falling. They were fat raindrops too. Fat, fat ass raindrops in the mountains. Slowed from our lunch, we all hopped into action and made camp as quickly as we could to avoid the coming downpour, and I'm so happy that we did. What began as a light sprinkling of rain quickly grew in ferocity and intensity and turned to a full-blown hailstorm. We boogied as fast as we could up to the ranger tent to take shelter, to wait out the storm while we enjoyed each other's company, and the bottle of fireball whiskey, courtesy of Dylan that he had sacrificed some weight for and hiked in for us. And I got to tell you, I've had fireball a few times. It has never, ever, ever tasted better than it did in that Ranger tent, Dylan. If we had indeed made better time, and if we'd had the strength to push on, I kind of shudder to think what might have happened to us had we been exposed on one of Fosthall's knife-edge ridges. At the very least, we would have been left very cold and very wet. So I'm kind of glad we didn't push for the summit, Even if we'd pushed, well, I mean, even if we'd pushed for the summit at the time that we could have, we would have gotten caught in the hailstorm still in the low lying areas and we would have just gotten soaked and we wouldn't have been dangerously exposed on some sort of a high mountain peak. We are hikers, not mountaineers. So, yet at least, maybe someday, BC does have a mountaineering society I have been kind of looking into because it's really fun. Anyways, soon enough, the hail dissipated and the blue skies came back out. Luckily, our hotel for the night, an MSR Mother Hubba tent, a.k.a. Hotel Motel Mother Hubba, courtesy of Dylan, had completely protected all of our gear, and we were thrilled to find everything as dry as we left it. You guys can probably tell that I'm reading from copy right now. I I, I wrote down a lot. So, you know, I'm bouncing back and forth between natural, slow, Ira Glass-speaking voice with my, Hey, guys, like this is me a lot more casual and, you know, rambly kind of thing. So give me a break. It's my podcast. I'm going to take a drink of water. We spent the remainder of the late afternoon and the early evening sharing stories, telling jokes, and planning for our next trip into the wild. I pulled out some strong black rum that I hiked in, and we enjoyed a few drinks. We watched the sunset paint the mountaintops with her psychedelic paintbrush and listened to the birds chirp and the winds blow. That sounds nice, doesn't it? It was really nice. It was so nice. Sunday morning was absolutely beautiful. I was up at the crack of dawn to wander around the site and take pictures all while watching very closely for bears, because pro tip bears are most active at dawn and at dusk. And I, I say this to my friends and my wife all the time. I kind of want to see a bear. I've only ever seen black bears from the comforts of a vehicle. And I think, honestly, to be hiking to see a bear in the distance would be one of the most exhilarating things ever. People are really afraid of bears. You should definitely respect bears and respect the wildlife and have, you know, have some fear for them, but it would be so exhilarating to see a bear, like a wild, noble, beautiful animal like that out in the wild. Slowly, everyone else woke up and made their way to camp where we drank coffee and enjoyed breakfast in each other's company before tearing down camp and embarking on our 14-kilometer hike back through the subalpine into the valley below past Spectrum Lake and back to the trailhead and civilization. The hike did take us most of the day. It was such a nice change to be able to actually catch my breath and laugh and pal around as we enjoy the steady downhill grade. And it was only then that, I mean, I realized how seriously steep and windy the trail going up to Big Peter's Lake or going up to the Peter's Lake from Spectrum had been. Because when you're in the moment, you're pushing hard, but you're not. I kind of get into a forced flow state with hiking because you are it's a bit of suffering. Your feet hurt, your legs hurt, your hips hurt because you've got all this weight on your back. So it's best not to think about that and to just focus on one foot in front of another. And then everything just kind of falls away. And you try not to think about how steep it is. So the way down you really start realizing how steep it is because you have to use like trekking poles to hold onto your weight and spot your landing. Cause if you just walk down at, at a, at a regular pace, you're going to blow out your knees and you're going to tumble into a ball and roll the fuck down that trail. So it wasn't an easy hike and it was long. And at the time, ta- you know, I'm a little embarrassed. Um, I'm the, I'm the least experienced hiker in the group. Um, and I'm a little embarrassed. I also, um, oh, I also earned the nickname Tenderfoot on this trip because I have the tenderest feet as well, although I went out and I bought good hiking socks. Thank you, Dylan, for like actually making me spend money on good hiking socks and for lending me that pair of blister socks. And even though I did all that, I, my feet were just killing me. The last four kilometers were so, so long, and I was cranking not like loud and like obnoxious cranky more like that withdrawn surly quiet cranky like if you if you know me I'm pretty hyperverbal and if you see me not talking there might be a chance that I'm cranky not always I might just be being thoughtful but usually hyperverbal when I'm not, I might be cranky. Real fun to hang around with. So we finally made it back to the trailhead. And it was so wonderful to see Baba Ganoush. I took my boots off, I we hugged each other, we we just like laughed for a minute, just reveling in the afterglow that you get from spending good times with your friends outside in nature. And although we didn't summit Mount Faustal, which, to be completely honest, <clears throat> the idea of climbing from Spectrum Lake to Little Peters to Big Peters, taking a break, and then summiting Mount Fostal in one single day is really, really ambitious. 1,700 meters of elevation gain in one day is nothing to laugh at. And if there's any, like, hardcore hikers or mountaineers listening to this, a, thank you for listening to the show, and B, stop laughing at me because suffering is relative. <laughs> that's a lot of elevation gain. So even though we didn't get to Summit Fostel, we had an awesome time, an incredible time, and that's what hiking, camping, and suffering uphill for hours with your friends is all about. So this week, this show is brought to you by spending time outside in the fresh air around Alpine Lakes with your friends. I would love to to go back to Monashie Raleigh and I are talking about taking our better halves back for a weekend of more chill camping in a few weeks. And I am so on board for that. Um, Shout out to Raleigh for showing me the ropes. Shout out to Jeff for like having the most positive attitude on the trail ever. And shout out to Dylan for everything, man, you guys are the best the experiences that we've had in the outdoors, our hikes and our ski trips and our camping trips, those have been some of the most formative and beneficial experiences of my adult life, definitely since I moved here to BC. And being friends with you guys is an honor and a privilege. And I'm very happy that we got a chance to do this together. This episode of Completely Unreasonable. Is brought to you by a $300 table that I just saw an ad for on Facebook that is literally a log. What? Like, (laughs) what the fuck is that? If you want to spend $300 on something that you could get for five bucks, not even from a lumber yard, then head over to wayfair.com because you're a fucking idiot. What the fuck is that? Let me ask you a question. Do you remember your first crush? How old were you? Do you remember their name? Why do you think you had a crush on them? Was their name as sweet as the tweet of a songbird? And did you do anything about it? Well, friends, I remember my first crush. I was in the fifth grade, so 10 or 11 years old. And um, we'll call her Elle. She had a hyphenated first name and it sounded as sweet as any song I'd ever heard. And I did do something about it. On this week's embarrassing story, I will tell you the tale of one of the most formative experiences of my young life, a tale that I like to call The Love Note. Let me set the stage for you. The year was 1997. Titanic was huge. England handed Hong Kong back to China and the Pathfinder Rover landed on Mars. I was a young boy in the fifth grade at Southern Carleton Elementary School in Woodstock, New Brunswick. And I was just starting to like girls in an abstract kind of way when I wasn't occupied by cartoons and computers and comic books. And I had a massive crush on a girl in my class, the aforementioned L. Now, like many crushes at that age that I assume people have, I had never spoken even a single word to her. I am pretty sure that apart from hearing my name on the roll call, she had no idea I existed. And that's not like a sob story case. Girls don't have to have an idea that all these guys exist. I'm not putting any pressure on her like that. But it didn't help my case that I totally lacked confidence. I thought I was a huge nerd. I thought I was not handsome and that no girls liked me, even though my parents told me that. but. You, when your mom tells you, you know, shout out mom, when your mom tells you you're handsome, you, you kind of are like, yeah, but you, you have to like think I'm handsome. I'm your son. Like you are biologically invested in thinking that I'm handsome. So uh, Elle was also popular and smart and pretty. And in my mind, she was like way out of my league. But has that ever stopped anyone before? It has. But allow me. At the time, I was watching a lot of late 90s TV, including some more teenage or adult-focused shows like, uh, I don't know, Saved by the Bell, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, maybe a little Boy Meets World, Breaker High, that kind of shit, you know? And I thought the way that you got a girl to like you was not to like be like, talk to her and be nice and genuinely interested in her and her interests and be charismatic and mean what you say. No, 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 no. I thought the way to get a little girl to like you was never to talk to her and instead out of the blue, write her a note, confessing your feelings for her. How could it fail? So one day I went upstairs in my mom's home office and I snagged a cue card from like her desk, the kind that um, you would use to write talking points for a speech on or facts to make cue cards to like study from. And anyways, and I took that cue card and I wrote, um, I think it's funny that I took a cue card. It's like such a, um, it's such a non-romantic paper medium to write a love note on like, Hey, here's a cue card. (laughs) Like girls, if you got a cue card, like a love note written to you on a cue card, how cute would the guy have to be for that to like make a positive impact? <laughs> so I'm sure that what I wrote was beautiful and innocent and not lame or creepy at all. And I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish so hard on so many stars that I remember what it said, but you have to understand that I buried this experience <laughs> deep, deep down into my soul and I wanted to forget that this ever happened. And it wasn't until years later, like years and years and years later, well past my time in high school, even that I was mature enough and to laugh at myself. It was only then that I dared to even unbox the story and tell anyone about it. I've told a few people, my wife knows, obviously, because it's a hilarious story to tell somebody that now actually likes me. I should write her a note on a a love note on a cue card. So anyways, 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 I digress. So I wrote her this love note. I took it to school. I don't know if I actually had any real intention of giving it to her because presumably this would involve me to actually walk up to her, hand her the note and maybe watch her read it or just slink away. I'm not really, I don't know if I had it planned out. Um, So I, but I put, I, so I took the the note to school. Didn't have any intention, maybe any intention of actually giving it to her. And I put it in my desk to wait for the opportune moment, which as it turned out would actually be shocker, a bad idea. So I, quick digression here. This time in my life, like many of you listening, I'm sure I also had a bully. Let's call him Jay. Jay was a real prick. He'd tease us. He'd threaten us. And he'd generally be an all around total asshole to my friends and I. And it really wouldn't be until years later. Second time I've said this, the show, when my mom told me that he basically hated us my friends and I, because his home life was an absolute horror show. And my friends and I all came from happy homes. Like my mom volunteered at school, kind of a thing. And so, but, anyways, this is an a sob story about Jay. This is an embarrassing story about me. But I don't hold anything against this fella anymore. People are pricks sometimes. And uh, his situation legitimately was not good. So, his, his acting out is understandable, but we're getting way too serious here. So I don't know exactly how the events that take place next actually happened. So if you'll recall, I had left the note in my desk, like a total fucking amateur, <laughs> and we all went inside for recess. We came back and the note was gone because I obviously checked immediately. Just gone, Vanished. Like it had never been there, so I did the logical thing, and I started to panic. I started like ripping and pulling papers, pens, notebooks, uh, like pencil holders out of my out of my desk furiously, trying to find this thing. Probably making, definitely making a huge mess all over the place. I wasn't very organized to begin with. I'm still not, and I'm 32. So when I was 11, I was super unorganized, but this was on another level entirely. And then in the middle of this, what I can only describe as a maelstrom, someone walks by, I don't know who, and puts the note on my desk. The note. And there it is, just sitting there in front of me. The very same cue card folded um, the short way, like widthwise, and sitting there like a little A frame cabin on the corner of my desk. And I remember going into tunnel vision. Like everything faded away, and it was just me, the note, and my confusion <laughs> looming over us. So I reached out and I took the note. And I opened it. There, at the bottom, below my wonderfully written, poetic, I'm sure, love note, in what I've always assumed to be Elle's handwriting, were the words, I don't like you. and that was the moment that my little heart broke inside of my chest and all I could do was look down and away from my classmates all of whom at the like at the time I was sure were pointing and snickering and mocking me in this my the most profound moment of weakness profound I'm not the right word but the moment of the of the greatest weakness and insecurity I'd ever experienced and I was so confused I hadn't Given her the note. I didn't give her the note. So then I summoned the courage to lift my head and look up. I looked, Elle sat sort of in the front row corner of the class, and I kind of looked in her direction because obviously, obviously, I'd look in her direction. And oh my God, she had, I remember her with her head like, down near the desk, buried in her hands. And she was for sure just as embarrassed as I was, if not more embarrassed. It, I imagine for girls and women, it's entirely different. It is obviously, it's of course entirely different to be on that end. So not to get too serious, but she was definitely like, that's that's a lot of pressure to put on a fucking 11 year old girl. Like it's weird in front of everybody like that. It's really kind of weird. And I wasn't going to give it to her in front of everybody. I was going to give it to her, alone? No, in front of her. I don't know. You see, I didn't even, I didn't even have it. It thought through, but anyways, I looked up and she was clearly just devastated, right? Super embarrassed. And I looked to my right and I saw that mother. That's saw that fucker. Little Jay sitting there. Little Jay was a fucker. I'm sure he's better now. And I saw him fucking sitting there at his desk. And he was, I remember him roaring with laughter. Whether or not he actually was, who knows? Memories are funny. Pointing, laughing, reveling in my misery, right? <clears throat> so I, I've i always thought that he gave her the note. And I don't even know why. He was probably, you might've just been enjoying it, but it could have fallen out of my desk. But I've always thought that like he saw me looking at it. Cause like that morning I was looking at it a lot. It was super important to me. And I I, I thought he thought, saw me looking at it. and took it out of my desk and gave it to Elle as some sort of like a, uh, way to, like, fuck with me, right? Like, and, or just a way to cause chaos. And it seems so unlikely now as an adult that that's what happened. But at the time, that's what I thought. That was the first thing I thought. I saw her devastated. I felt my embarrassment. I saw him laughing. And I was like, this is the guy who did it. And it took all I had not to get up and literally have, like, a violent outburst on him. Like, I was the most non-confrontational, like non-violent kid on earth. And I could never have confronted him, but I wanted to, to punish him for embarrassing me like this and ruining my chances with Al, ah, which had been so good up until that moment, right? Leading up until now, didn't you think my chances were good? But I wasn't that kid. I was the kid who froze and sat still in an anxiety-ridden gold sweat, probably, Welcome to a dramatic reading of Will's childhood. So apart from the great returning of the note, the only other kind of thing that I really remember from this troubling memory took place while I was in the cafeteria line later that day. I was in line there with my friends, um, and I was really trying not to look at anybody or make eye contact with anybody. I wanted to crawl into a hole and die, not literally, but I felt pretty shitty. So um, further up in the line, a guy I knew, let's call him K, was one of them. He was a not, you know, I always thought we'd been cool. We weren't really in the same friend group. I'm not clicking. I'm not obsessed over Clicks from, uh, from fucking middle school. I'm just telling you the way it was. So he was more like one of the popular, athletic type guys, and I was one of the more hanging out with like the D and D players and the like the nerds kind of thing. No shame. That's just cool. Um, but, uh, so he sees me in line and he turns and he like turns and looks at me. This is how I remember it. And he says, Hey, Will, everybody knows that you like L and without missing a beat, I yell back the most fifth grader thing to say to somebody. No, they don't. (laughs) I don't know if it actually happened like that, but that's how I remember. I, well, I remember that like really. Really, pretty, like vividly, and I don't know what he'd say, but that's the most fifth grader thing that like a fifth grader could actually say. No, they don't. No, um, L actually ended up moving away. I think the next year, I she wasn't in my classes ever again, and I'm pretty sure she ended up moving away either the next year or the year after that. Um, without her and I ever exchanging a single word, and that's. Kind of sad, I guess. Probably good. I don't know what word I would have exchanged with her. I probably would have had a panic attack if she'd ever actually talked to me. Because that's um how being 10 and 11 years old really is. That's really the whole story. I don't know if anyone else even remembers any of this. I bet Elle does. And that's not because I think it had like a profound impact on her. I think it was probably fucking really embarrassing for her, just as it was for me. Um, you know, (laughs) maybe though my note was actually really sweet, but the social pressures got to her and she remembers that note fondly. I think probably not. I think, like I said, she was probably super embarrassed. She probably didn't like me and she didn't have any obligation to like me. She had no idea who I was. I didn't ever talk to her. Guys, if you like a girl, you have to talk to her. Relationship advice with Will. I'm the new Dr. Drew. So that's the whole story about the love note, really. Um, Honestly, now, though, I'm not even embarrassed of this because my teenage years would hold embarrassments of a magnitude that I wasn't even capable of imagining yet. So that's really the whole story. And I know that's like the ninth time I've said that, but um, consider yourselves informed and embarrassed. So everyone, that has been the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. It really, really means a lot to me. Whoever you are, wherever you are out there, whatever platform you're listening in on, thank you very much. A lot has happened in the week since I published the first episode of Completely Unreasonable. I've had a lot of really positive feedback. And thank you very much for that. If you want to give me some feedback, of any kind for the show. Reach out to me on social media. You can get me at Will Crocco on Facebook or at AdventureWillCrocco on Instagram or at CompletelyUnreasonable on Instagram. Or if you know me personally, you can just text me and tell me what you know. Or even in person, do people talk in person anymore? They do, they do. Maybe just not as often as we used to. We are distributed now. Um, this morning, Anchor notified me that we're in the final stages of Um, landing on Apple Podcasts. So in addition to listening to this on the Anchor FM platform, this podcast is available on Spotify, is available on Radio Public, is available on Stitcher and Google Podcasts. Basically, everywhere you can get your podcasts, you can now get completely unreasonable. And to be honest, it's a trip to open up Spotify and find my podcast. It's a serious trip to tell my Google Home Mini to play an episode of my podcast. It's blowing my mind and I could not have made this happen without all of you supporting me. So thank you very much. Coming up in future episodes, this weekend, I will be joined by the other two thirds of the rock and roll monster from New Brunswick, formerly known as Old Mother Mountain. These are my friends, Nick Dorcas, And Joel Graham will be joining me to catch up and share hilarious stories and maybe even make you think a little bit on next week's episode. So it's currently Monday. This episode should be published on Wednesday the 17th and I'm planning on publishing episodes every Wednesday until the end of time. So if you like this show, thank you. There is more to come. I have been Will Croco. This has been completely right unreasonable, and I will see you next time.